And it is quite windy, isn't it? Yeah. But I can't hear much of the wind over the um, our furry friend on top of the microphone. That's good, that's what it's for. So, Rob, where are you taking me? Well, I think we're off down to the beach. Right. Have a wander down on the, uh, on the coast. Um, I don't think I signed up for extreme weather conditions, did I? Well, there's a few glimpses of sunshine between the, between the clouds and the storm that we seem to be going through. And roadworks. Yes. Why did we decide to walk along the road and not actually go through the park <clears throat> in a much more tranquil kind of um, relaxing way? Um, I don't know. Force of habit, is it? Um, How often do you walk into town? Hardly ever. No. That must be a noisy. Yeah, hardly ever. What about you? Well, likewise, when I first arrived, I used to walk into town and try and have a sort of a break at lunchtime. Yeah. Which was a sort of classic take a moment, have a lunch break, have a stroll. Yeah. And then you, 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 you know, habits, don't, habits emerge, don't they? And they become sort of quite overwhelming. And um, but going to lunch with colleagues meant that time was restricted and actually that became the habit and uh, going for a walk fell out of being a habit. I think there is something important about being in different locations isn't there as to how it changes the way you look at the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's something that it's so easy to do isn't it just fall into the same pattern of being in the same location every week or every day and that's sometimes not terribly helpful. Um, I, I agree, and I've, I don't know why, I think, I, I, I'm not sure why I started, but in the morning, I'm now parking in a place that makes me walk through the park in order to get to work. Well, I always walk through the park. Ah, I knew That's, a few people did. Eh? I knew a few people did, but yeah. I wasn't... It's my... It's my little dose of green every yeah every day. I've had quite a good stroll through and seen all sorts of odd characters who are regular dog walkers or just regularly moving through the park, and I find it quite <laughs> fascinating to oh that's quite windy, isn't it? Fascinating to sort of second guess what they're up to and why they're there. Yeah, and if you walk through the park every day. You often see the same people and have a bit of a hello that emerges. Um, I'm always struck by the number of blooming crows. It's like something out of an Alfred oh, Hitchcock film. The, the crow gang in the car park I, I find very intimidating. Yeah. They're not, you know, not ginormous ginormous, but they are big enough birds, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, right, so here we are, approaching the sea. Being a nautical person, you must. The, the, well, blood, the blood must be pumping now. It, I, you know, I was supposed to do a um, power boating thing on Sunday for uh, a course, and uh, we all met up down there because it was those classic moments where no one wanted to um, break cover and say we need to cancel this because it's too windy. Right. So no one took. <laughs> No one took leadership until we're all down at the club. 
yeah. standing on the end of the slipway, looking at each other and wondering who was going to be the first to cave in. And not mention a Fastnet yacht race of 1987 or whatever. Uh, exactly. And the wind speed was coming across Chichester Harbour at around about force eight. Oh. Um, occasionally a little bit more than that. And yes, it was decreasing a bit and the sea conditions were quite flat, but frankly, boat handling in those conditions, even the power boat, are tricky, tricky things. So we, uh, as I say, spent about 10 minutes on the end of the slipway and then ran for cover. <laughs> Could we go on the, on, the, on the shingle? Could we get a bit of noise of the pebbles between beneath our feet to give the, the, the listener a, a real sense of where we are. Okay, I'll only go on the shingle if there's a promise of an ice cream later. Gosh, that's okay. With a flake. Look, <laughs> we've got the sand down there as well. Well, I've never seen anyone so gracefully descend the gravel bank as that, Rob. That was beautifully done. And I'm going to be intrigued to see how you're going to get back up, actually. I will go down the slightly less severe bit. <laughs> I think this is the first time that I've actually stepped off the prom and come to the beach here. Ah. Oh. Well, nice, isn't it? Which the... is not bad for four and a half years. Yeah. Nice sun on the, uh, on the sea. Yeah. How are the sound levels? Good. Now, what was the purpose of this episode? I can't, I can't remember. And, of course, we're moving a mobile, so we haven't got notes. Creativity. This Was this the creativity or was this breadcrumbs? Creativity. This was creativity for uh, how... Creativity for our students, in a sense, based on what we do and get them to do in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. That, that type of thing, about the kind of things that we can... The kind of things we can practically do. And in some respects, that also then reflects on the creativity that, that we bring to it as well. Yeah. And why have you... Um, taking me on this little stroll down to the beach. So we're standing here on the beach at, uh, in Bognor Regis. It's March, uh, a bit windy, and it's actually quite a lovely day. Um, for me, creativity, there's always, there's, for me, it's always a question where creativity happens. So when I did my PhD, um, I spent several years researching stuff, working out things and uh, and compiling lots and lots of evidence but there came a point right at the end to answer the question well what does all this mean and it was on a bicycle ride I was 20 miles from home down a cycle path in the Sussex countryside when the creativity or the, the creativity creative juices just came together and it suddenly made sense to me mm. and you know I don't think we should think about creativity just being located in the classroom so in some respects, that's why we're here. That's why we had a lovely walk down to the beach, and yeah. this is why we're standing here in a in a bit of a gale. <laughs> okay. Well, shall we have a walk? Shall we 
take the headwind on and walk into the headwind and see where we end up? That's it. Should we, go, should we try to move from the shingle onto the, uh, onto the sand? Excellent. The tide's coming in, so I look forward to trying to extract you later out of the soft sand. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure either of us are wearing the best shoes for this. No. We stand behind a groin or something. Yeah, what about the bigger groins? Sound effects are good. So we're just huddled behind a sea groin out of the wind. I, I wish this radio had pictures because I think a picture of the pair of us looking like some very strange English tourist group who uh, are the only people on the beach would probably not help sell Bognor as a holiday destination <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> but uh, it still probably would entertain people in a sense. Yeah. So David, can I just ask you the question, where do you think creativity happens? Um, well, I, I, in, in years past, my in, in, initial act, uh, response to that question would be the space between the ears, actually. Um, that sort of six, seven inch gap that we have between our ears um, is a fundamental, I think, or used to certainly think, place for creativity um, but I think I'm being a slightly disingenuous because bearing in mind my sort of personal history uh, and continuing in some sense practice um, practicing all sorts of things it's about um, allowing that space between the ears connect with you as a whole uh, physically and from an activity point of view so what do we do when we move about, wave our arms, what do we make, what do we allow our fingers to construct? And in, in many ways, I kind of see it as a, a the, the space between the ears is a connection, a jigsaw um, piece that allows us to put together um, our kind of lived experience with creativity, really. So I've, I've developed that thought, I think. Um, and whilst, the sort of foundations for creativity is, I think, very often a, a thing that happens in our minds. Uh, increasingly, it needs to also have some kind of action and some kind of tangible physical thing, even if that's just a process or a participation, not necessarily an object. Um, and I guess that's where I am at the moment. Yeah. So what are the implications for that in terms of the routines of higher education of being located in a room? 
Well, I think we've spoken about before the, the room and the environment and the, the impact it has. And actually, it goes back to your point a second ago when we were being blown by that lovely 4-7 that's coming down off the land. Um, you know, it's not just about being in the classroom. It's not just about being in the, the physical environment we're, we're, we're forced in to some extent. Um, so the implications are, I suppose, several, but the starting point would be whereabouts do we deliver education? Where yeah. is the location? Yeah, yeah, quite. So David, what kind of thoughts have you been mulling over for, for this session about the sort of techniques and things that we can do? Well, at a practical level, um, I started to think about what I had been doing. Uh, I started to think about what I had been doing to challenge the whiteboard PowerPoint presentation mentality. And there are those things um, that yeah, I would now call part of my practice. But um, I suppose I'm now more interested in thinking about what we can do outside of the room and how do we how do we develop our practice outside of the room um, and I guess that's a re result of you marching me down to the beach good good have um, you ever brought your classes down to the beach no I'm thinking I'm thinking about that um, as we as we're sitting here because uh, in an hour or so's time I'm with my uh, ethics group and it and it's sort of it's dawning on me how useful it would be to create a different way of thinking a different way of the students relating to each other if we were to if we were to do that um, and it's strange because we've you know we've we, we, we've got the sort of infrastructure of the slide projectors and the uh, whiteboards and all the other paraphernalia and although that's very, very helpful, it seems to be an impediment to actually thinking more, more in a more creative way as to the location and the sort of delicate empiricism, as I think Gotha said or whoever said, about how we experience and understand our, our environment and how that relates to how we learn and, um, and, and, and develop. Mm. And it is an impediment, isn't it? I think that's a really good word. You, you, I sometimes think, what is driving what I'm doing? Is, is the flip chart marker pen and the post-it note driving what I'm doing? Or is the concept or the idea driving what I'm doing? Yeah. And I, I fear that most of the time, it is the mechanics, it is the tools, it is the paraphernalia around us that is dictating the mode of operation, the mode of delivery, I'm not sure those are the right words, but yeah. I hope you get a sense of what I mean. And I guess that connects a little bit to our conversation we were having much earlier about the use of a particular piece of software. Who, who is driving what we're doing? Is it, yeah. is, it, is it the teaching team or is it the, uh, and I mean this respectfully, the facilities people, the estates people, the IT people, um, who, who's driving the bus, as yeah. it were? And when we were walking down here, uh, when I was sort of dragging you down to the beach, you made the comment about not coming down here very often or, or taking different routes to a different location. 
and there's something about the journey itself about how you take a different path and a different uh, way of of uh, getting somewhere we experience the world in a slightly different way that we hadn't made we hadn't made those connections before mm. um, and I think that's very useful so the idea even taking students for a walk and to encourage them to discuss with each other other people that they wouldn't normally talk to would be is extremely useful yeah I, I, I think it would be um, uh, and it's one of those moments where I think well actually I just I just think we need to do it and worry about the sort of practical issues around that later maybe ask forgiveness as it were yeah um, although trying it with a small group might be better than a, a big caravan because if there's an issue <laughs> one of us might might be summoned to the glorious leadership for a talking to but um if there's an opportunity with a, a smaller group of five or six seven yeah. or eight students then actually why not and perhaps we should t- um, start as a as a teaching team yeah to actually start talking about our, our teaching practice on 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 a walk good idea um, I sent you a link earlier um, to the Life Scientific yes uh, and uh, Ken Gabriel was being interviewed did you, did you listen to that I was listening to it in the background um, as, as you know I have the radio on often in the background and I somehow managed to tune out right now I listened to probably the first five or six minutes where he was talking about his work on those those features of smartphones the accelerometer and that sort of stuff and then I did manage to actually tune out and concentrate on what I was supposed to be doing so I haven't re-listened to the whole program well Ken Gabriel who who amongst many other things and uh, was it was the um, chief executive of DARPA which is the uh, Department of Defense in in the United States um, Department for uh, coming up with uh, cunning and new ways of doing things, um, innovative ways of doing things, and creative ways of doing things. And his view about creativity is that there there needs to be some enabling constraints. Now I know we spoke about this last time we had a discussion, but he had a quite a he had quite a rigid framework for to, for that. Mm-hmm. Was that you have to have a real clarity as to what it is that you want to achieve. So something, the example he gave about some biomedical testing uh, that needs to be done 10 times quicker, 10 times cheaper, that real ultra-focus about what it is that you need to achieve. And then three other things that are really important. One is having a defined, very tight budget and list of resources. Secondly, some form of capacity, some form of ability to actually get on with things uh, and something you, you bring to the, the, the table with. But the final thing was the freedom um, from the from the um, organisational constraints and rigours to actually enable that to, that that creativity to happen. Mm. Can you see that being played out? Those that being played out in the classroom? Um, I, I, in in some small way, I hope that some of the sessions that I've done that are trying to get students exposed to a, a, a creative framework, a creative process would look quite similar to what he's just articulated um, 
you mentioned the, the previous conversation we've had about creativity and my view was then that it's not chaos and I yeah. hold with that view it's not chaos and actually um, the, the, the framework can be all things to all people but having some kind of start and end and, and the parameters around that the boundaries that you know the touch lines etc I think are, I think are important and I can see how that can relate to a classroom activity um, you could set up a whole range of content in in that sort of way I from what you've just relayed it sounds very much like he has a similar view to what people in the not really ever taken off in the UK but this notion of design thinking um, design thinking was very, is, is very popular in the States and in certain northern European states but in the UK I think it's been seen as a sort of um, fad uh, a kind of classic management fad and it's never really been explored as much as maybe it should have been or deserved to be um, and the design thinkers have very clear frameworks yeah. Um, they have very clear frameworks, but within those frameworks, um, there are moments of massively divergent thinking um, and divergent thinking that then all of a sudden has to work within a certain stricture, a certain set of constraints. So I think there are some, there are some clear connections between what he was saying and those guys that um, purport to support the design thinkers. So Tim Brown, who... He's, I think he's still the chief executive of a company called IDEO. Okay. Uh, IDEO are a design company. Tim Brown's actually English, but um, he's worked in the States for many years for IDEO. They are a design company, that's, that's what they do. Um, but they employ about 500 people and are a significant employer. And they are the sort of go-to corporation that you might, you know, in, in consultancy terms, we think of McKinsey and BCG and all the rest of it if you want a design thing you tend to go to IDEO yeah. um, they work very closely with Stanford and the D school the design school um, and their their process their framework their design thinking framework seems to fit very closely to, to what he was talking about so I wonder how could we develop how could you develop a mod module or some form of uh, a confined I don't know, learning context in order to let this flourish? Um, well, I think you could consider your allotted time, you could consider your allotted timetable, you could look at any one of the, any one of the multitude of process maps that the design thinkers use, or even following um, Ken's approach, and actually structure your module around that framework um, and have as the output, have as the sort of final proposition something that looks much more like a solution, a creative solution rather than simply a um, kind of standard report artifact yeah. essay etc. Um, I think that's a sort of modelling exercise that could could happen. I've, I've tr tried to do it in a loose way by 
trying to teach students that process, that design thinking process. And that was that was experimented with last year with, with a group of second years that I think kind of got it. Um, and then more recently with, with my one master student, which has been, I think, understood. Um, they are an international student, so there might be some lost in translation moments. Yeah. But actually, I think they've understood the framework for a creative activity. And um, so far, not completed it yet, but so far, touch wood, it, it, it's going in. It's being yeah. sort of absorbed in, in, in a way. Well, perhaps we can pick that up at a later podcast when we talk about international students. Yes. That's another... Yeah. One final thing. Um, Academia. I met a couple of people a few years ago where in um, Northern Europe, uh, Nordic countries, where they had a degree um, arranged around a particular project that people could work on, around, around which they could explore ideas of strategy, finance, uh, innovation. It was far more focused around the products. And secondary to that were the ideas behind behind business so um, it was a case of bringing the business to life oh and by the way that we learn about strategy project management in order to do to do that yeah and that strikes me as quite a, uh, a a useful framework that's very much focused on a business I think that's a good point and you could see a situation where the learning outcomes that we normally have critically evaluate dot 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 uh, the learning outcome is that actually you will register your business you will launch your business yeah um, and then there might be some subsidiary learning outcomes but that kind of problem based product based uh, activity does lend itself very well I think to this design thinking or yeah. Ken's approach so what else have we got to say on the subject well, the one thing I was thinking as I was sitting here is it, it's probably time to move on because I'm getting a really cold Yes. sitting down here. So, shall we walk on and see what else we can um, stumble across? And can you hear the bells tolling in the background? Just about, yes. It's, yeah. it's, uh, the bell was tolled, so it's time to walk. Okay, well, let's do some walking then. Well, we've walked up the beach a little bit, Rob. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've started recording again, because I suppose, I know this sounds really dull, but I suppose we do need to worry about the practical considerations a bit. Should yep. we go out that way? Good idea. Because... Having sort of expounded the idea of bringing people down on walks and things, the notion of bringing 20 undergraduates down, yes. I think would worry me slightly. Yeah, particularly in a force-eight gale that this is. Yeah, My flip chart paper wouldn't be the same again. <laughs> so then, what do you think then? Uh, sort of a plan A and a plan B? Uh, in terms of what you could do? Uh, Should we just perch here in the sun? Yeah. And see I what... Shelter, that's a bit better, isn't it? Bloody hell. Oh, 
so we've come out of the four stage a little bit. Yep. Still quite, but when the sun's out, it's glorious. Anyway, so a plan A and a plan B, let's say you're, you're gonna come down and talk about um, your culture topic with the uh, MBA students. How would you approach, uh, in a very rudimentary lesson plan, what, what do you think you would try and do? Well, if you bring them all down here, I suppose on the one hand it gives them the opportunity to reflect on being somewhere different, being somewhere very different from, from, the, uh, from the classroom but also from their, from their place of work. Yeah. And there's also an opportunity to actually notice what it is that w what is different. So, you know, there is the smell of the sea, there is the sort of wind coming through, the, going through your hair, there is the different sights, the different sort of... Uh, it, on all senses, it feels very, very different. So in that context, what is it and how do we notice our work differently? So, you know, I've got a research interest in reflexivity and how we think about what it is that we're doing. So a different location like this is a great opportunity to do that. Mm. And there's something also interesting about being creative with the resources and the materials that you have. Yep. So if, if you are drawn to you know, the materials that you have around you, you know, what have we got here that could be, you could use as being creative with? Well, good, good question. And basically I'm cheating because I do this when I'm teaching kids to sail is we would use the sand <laughs> the yeah. sand is our whiteboard yeah um, and our stones are, are our markers and our objects and our things we can use to represent all sorts of things boats in that context or in organizations in in this business school context so um, changing that material changing what's in the toolbox uh, from the post-it note and the white chart, uh, white chart, flip chart, or the whiteboard, um, that that gives us that practical opportunity. Doesn't yes, it? yeah, absolutely. There's looking out towards the sea. There's a whole uh, right. There's the the, there's the sa lovely sandy beaches on which to uh, on which to practice. And how is your reading of the tide tables, Rob? Um, because I reckon in about two hours' time, there ain't going to be much sand left. Right. Well, you know the tide tables <laughs> better than I do. I'm relying on you to keep me safe. I'm not doing the risk assessment for this. Yeah. Um, you're, 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 you're going to have to learn. I think it's a good developmental opportunity for you. Good. As long as I don't have to wear a high-visibility uh, vest. <laughs> I think I might insist on that. <laughs> You at the beginning of, of the group with a high-vis vest and an umbrella, I think, would be the perfect image of that next session. Yes, yes, taking off over the sea, I think, with an umbrella in this wind. Well, you sadly missed the sound of Rob climbing, cli climbing up the gravel. Back into the wind. Quite bracing, isn't it? It is bracing. Um, 
Another good indication of wind chill. Yeah. Because actually the sun's out and we're thinking actually it's lovely and all of a sudden the sun goes in and uh, start to feel the cold quite quickly in your fingers. I can't believe it. Bloody ice cream shop's closed. Oh. <laughs> you won't be getting your 99 and flake then. That's another disappointed trip to the seaside for me, I'm afraid. That was my, okay. that was my childhood, that was. Every year going to Eastbourne. I, I fear this might be turning into some kind of surreal mutual counselling system. Yeah, for therapy. Yeah. Well, as we pass the sadly closed fish and chips and ice cream centre, it might be worth picking up on what next the next podcast is going to be. So if we head round here, and I look longingly at the breakfast menu, a hash browns rob. Yes, to say nothing of the black pudding and fried bread. So um, this uh, episode was looking a little bit at creativity in the classroom, and um, we managed to avoid quite neatly this notion of just saying, right, this is what we should be doing, less PowerPoint, etc., etc., and really focused on actually getting out so yes creativity outside of the classroom might be a better way of thinking about it and um, I hope there's some sort of food to thought for people obviously not everyone is lucky as us to um, have a have a business school near the seaside but sorry about that everyone um, next time then Rob yep what are we doing so are we talking about breadcrumbs and foraging I do hope so yes well that's what we're going to talk about. And that is that the subject that you talked to people about at the last learning and teaching conference at um, Chichester last year? Or is it that... is. Okay. Yeah. So the, I... the idea that, that uh, instead of laying a, a clear, easy um, trail of learning for people to follow, we should really be, as a community, to, to, to be out there foraging and exploring together. But I don't want to say any more about it now. Okay, well, that's good to know because I missed that talk at the Learning and Teaching Conference. Um, but somehow I'm automatically mulling over the fact that there seems to be a clear connection to breadcrumbs and foraging with this idea of design thinking we talked about very briefly. Yes. And some of the stuff you said came up in the um, Ken talk to do with um, his work at DARPA. Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave you with that, and from the wind, we'll uh, hopefully we'll be speak with you, you next week. Time.